the world just felt like blurry and numb around me and my pain felt so big and I had no idea what to do with it and I just needed some sort of release or outlet because physical pain, to be honest, was much more tolerable than emotional pain. and welcome back to Highly Meditated. I am your host, Danny, and today I am joined by my friend, Sarah, that I met at our spiritual book club. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. good. Thank you so much for having me. Are you feeling highly meditated? Oh, so highly meditated. Good. With a dose of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> About coming on the podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> everyone says that, but everyone's done great so far, so I think it's no big deal. Wonderful. Yeah, so... For our listeners, Sarah and I met at a book club, as I just mentioned, and it was like the most magical night ever for me. Mm-hmm. And I was telling Mackenzie before you got here, he was like, how long have you known her? And I was like, uh, I mean, we only met once really, but we connected on a soul level. So forever. I would agree. I would agree <laughs> with all that. It was a very magical evening. We're so corny. <laughs> so we were actually just chatting about how Right now in my life, I'm an accountant at a bank and I make like, you know, like it's a really good job and I get good benefits and good pay and everything, but I'm not necessarily like filling my soul with that work. And Sarah's doing the opposite. Yes, I am at, I'm at a very unique point in my life right now. I am pretty much doing everything that I love at the cost, no pun intended, (laughs) of not really making very much money at all. Uh, But to me, that is what I need to be doing right now. And it's confused a lot of people in my life, uh, especially family and close friends. Mm, I bet. Yeah. Especially after investing over $100,000 in education. Yeah. It's... But you're debt-free, aren't you? You paid off all your loans. Yeah, that's incredible. And I'm super super privileged uh, in that way. I've had support from family that's allowed me to do that. And mm-hmm. that is a huge, huge piece as to why I I feel like I can even kind of like relish in this freedom that I think everybody has the opportunity to experience. But for me, a huge obstacle when I did have my loans was that looming feeling of like, I need to pay these off how am I going to pay these off? And obviously the most straightforward answer was, you know, work in the field that you got your degree in. But for me, interestingly enough, um, I wasn't even making that much in the field that I had gotten my degree in. And they warned us of that in grad school. Yeah. I, I went to school to be a marriage and family therapist. Mm-hmm. And they joked, I remember, in our orientation like nobody gets into it for the money. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Which is true. I mean, I would, I kind of hope not in some ways yet at the same time, we all need to make a living. Yeah. That's like the exact opposite of me going into accounting. Like I literally picked it because of money. Yeah. <laughs> like I just knew that it was so secure and safe to like get a job in accounting. It seemed like, I don't know, the most secure job I could pick almost. Cause you can do it any, you can do it at any company you can do it in any location. And then once you have your CPA, you even have like more options. So Yeah, that I seems really smart. Well <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean <laughs> I I've never felt super competent in math and those subjects. I've and I'll get into that in a little bit, but it's like in school I felt like I never really did super well. Mm-hmm. And so I've always been drawn to pursuing things that I just am interested in Mm -hmm. that feel like they maybe come a little bit more naturally, which is like creativity and connecting with people and wanting to help people. In grad school, I was introduced to this term that's really stuck with me called the wounded healer. Oh, yeah, for sure. Are you familiar? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even know where that had originated. I actually had to look that up before I came because I'm like, I don't want to sound stupid on the podcast. Oh, no. There's like, I mean, 
it's a pretty well-known thing that a lot of healers actually had to go through their own healing process before they could even start thinking about other people. Right. You know? And so. it's like the fact that it was the wounds that really drew them to wanting to heal. Mm-hmm. Right. Other people. Yeah. But that's so interesting. I picked like the straight and narrow path and yet here I am, you know, 26 years old, like so envious of you. <laughs> really? <laughs> like working part time, doing this, like all this creative stuff. I don't know. So oh. can you talk about how you got here? Yes, definitely. It's okay. been quite, quite the journey. I guess I want to start with the idea of the Saturn returns. Are yeah, you... I don't I don't know what that is. Really? No. Oh, is darn. this like astrology or something? Yeah, and I I guess I assumed you would know more about this than I do because that I thought that was more up your alley. No, oh, I don't I like numerology. I'm kind of a numerology nerd okay. and some other stuff like that, but I actually don't know that much about astrology. Yeah, I don't either. I'm but sorry. I actually oh, I think my Saturn returns in December of 2020. That's when it comes that's yeah. when your Saturn. Is that a thing? Returns. Or did it return for everybody else? Are we all under the same Saturn? (laughs) No. So I did take a moment to research this also before I came. It happens. It's, yeah, I can't explain it that well, but it is unique to each person. It's like when Saturn returns to the position it was in when you were born, which for most people occurs, or I guess maybe everyone, like late 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm. I could be totally off. Like, that's why I want to preface this. I'm not an expert in this. Okay, so when did your Saturn return? (laughs) (laughs) My Saturn started to return. It felt like, I would say like 2015, maybe 2016, really corresponding with me being in grad school. Mm -hmm. I learned so much about myself and the world during that time period. So living in Chicago... I was exposed to like a lot of injustice, if there's like for lack of a better word, just so much poverty and racism that was just still so prevalent and so apparent living in different parts of the city, traveling around to different parts of the city. You just you saw you see like pockets of different cultural groups like it feels very segregated still in a lot of ways. And then you also notice that the non-white neighborhoods are the ones that like lack a lot of funding and are just like very unequal access to opportunities. Yeah, that's fair. So then wait, so where'd you go to undergrad? I went to the University of Iowa. Okay. And then Iowa you city. And then you, when you were at Iowa, you decided to go to grad school for therapy in Chicago? No, actually. So I originally I went to the University of Iowa for their writing program. Oh. Kind of like I was saying earlier, like I've been drawn to, I've always been drawn to writing because it's come pretty naturally to me, creative writing. Mm -hmm. And I learned kind of quickly that like the more I was forced to write in school, the less enjoyable it became. For sure. I decided to focus. I was also doing a psych major at the time. I tried nursing. I got weeded out of that Mm. pretty quickly. (laughs) The anatomy, the anatomy class is actually what got me. I made it through chemistry. (laughs) Biology was awesome. But yeah, anatomy was a little too much. Um, So I just stuck with psych. And then I graduated from Iowa. And then I moved to Chicago after that because I'd met so many people at school where I was at who were from Chicago. And I lived in Chicago for two years nannying. Okay. And, and that's when you were experiencing this, like, inequality stuff? That's when I was noticed. I mean, I have to be honest. Like, my white privilege has blinded me. to Like, it was still blinding me to that until I started grad school at, um, like, a school that had more of a social justice mm-hmm. mission. That program helped teach me help make me a lot more self-aware of my own white skin and just the implications that that I carry just inhabiting this body and like the you know historical trauma of like Mm -hmm. racism and how it's perpetuated today but once I started learning about that through the program it's like I couldn't unsee it all around me one of my first experiences working as a therapist was doing a my my practicum was at a small it was a community mental health slash private practice on the south side of Chicago Mm -hmm. 
and it was in a primarily black neighborhood. I was like one of the few white people. So it was a new experience for me to like be the minority, but wanting to do so in like a, I wanted to learn a lot there. And I also wanted to learn how to be like an ally with that community um, because of all the injustice I was witnessing. Sure. Yeah. Go on. So you lived in Chicago for a couple of years yep. while you were doing this. Yep. And then. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Sarah actually created an outline, which we're not currently following. <laughs> but she's the only guest that's ever done that. And I think it's fucking bomb. And I'm just so jacked because I know you have so much to say. But Thank you. Um... Yeah. I tend to like, I call them anxiety blackouts where I get. And I know there's, you know, Danny keeps telling me like, you don't have to be nervous. We're like sitting in my I living room on the floor <laughs> on a blanket. <laughs> I just, this is new for me. This is, this is my first podcast. Yeah, no, totally understandable. And also I'm, I want to be really vulnerable with, that's a huge goal of mine right now at this point in life is like, just be yourself, be vulnerable, tell your story. But there's still a lot of nerve and fear that comes with that. Yeah. So, okay. So back to Chicago, I worked for you know, a couple years as a nanny, started grad school, mostly because I felt pressured to like have more of a legitimate kind of job with like a career path, even though I love nannying and I made the most nannying to this day that like I've ever made. Really? Yeah. It was a lot of work, you know, granted, but were you like full time for one family? I worked for a few different families, but I I stuck with one and I'm still like close with them um, through the whole time. What led me into the grad school program that I chose was the mom of the family I nanny for was going there. She oh. was getting her side cool. And so I thought it looked like a cool, cool option for myself. Started this program. I became a lot more woke, as they say. Yeah. In terms of like what was <laughs> happening outside yeah. of my little white bubble, which has been like very it's confusing for me because in a lot of ways I've lived a super privileged life. Mm -hmm. And then I've also experienced like immense tragedy and mm -hmm. pain. And that is what led me into the field of mental health and therapy mm -hmm. was wanting to help other people who would experience similar things. And I just feel like I can relate and identify with other people's pain mm -hmm. so much. At the same time, introduced to the term wounded healer, really identified with that. And my wounds begin very young. I don't remember because I was an infant, but I believe I was lucky to have an amazing relationship with my mom as an infant. Like she was super attentive to me. Um, she was a Montessori preschool teacher, super into child development and wanted a child so badly, had me. And just gave her all to parenting and being my mom. And so I'm now I know that's called like a secure attachment. Like I think I developed a pretty secure attachment yeah. with her. So she was diagnosed with cancer when I was a baby. But then it came back and she like went, she was treated, went into remission. And then I think like when I was three, around the time I was three, maybe a little before. Yeah, the cancer came back and it was a lot more aggressive. Mm -hmm. And so... She ended up passing away when I was four and a half. Yeah. And I don't really, rem I mean, I don't remember that time. Like, and I don't even remember feeling sad. Like, I'm sure I blocked all of mm -hmm. that out. And now that I've gone through training, like, in child development and psychology, I, I know, too, that, like, cognitively, I wasn't even able to process Right. You can't like happening. process your emotions at that age. Yeah. 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 You need someone to help you with that. Yeah. And I did. I was lucky to have a family that knew to like put me in grief therapy. And to be honest, like I felt more loved than ever at that time in my life mm -hmm. because my mom had cultivated this, this network of friends that just all came and supported Oh, me and my dad that's so awesome that was it just you and your dad yeah, yeah. wow yeah and family too like everybody mm -hmm. just came to our aid I feel like and just wanted to help and there was just so much love and so for the longest time I associated loss with love 
Wow. That's, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. How do you think that like ran into your adulthood? It's gotten really tangled since Really? Then. Yeah. Like it felt a lot more simple. Yeah. <laughs> when I was younger. <laughs> right. <laughs> now I'm still trying to dis- like dismantle like all of the like shit that's happened since then. Yeah. I would say like the pain really started to set in once I became an adolescent. And so like 12 or 13. Yeah. 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 And a lot had happened in between then too. So it's like my mom died, which was a you know, huge, huge loss. But then I kind of also lost my dad around the same time because he, well, he's still alive. He's had a lot of health challenges mm-hmm. and he wasn't able to, like I lived with him for a couple of years after she passed away, but then it became apparent that he wasn't able to take care of me mm-hmm. anymore. So there was like a therapist. I think we were all meeting with at the time and some close friends and family got together and decided that they needed to figure out like who would raise me. Mm-hmm. And the therapist, this is like, granted this, these are all stories that have been told back to me. Like, I don't remember. Really? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cause I was, I don't remember a lot of things from childhood, which I think is, kind of a result of trauma probably yeah there was a picture I guess that I had drawn of me standing in front of a house with a family that was really close with my mom and so they decided I would move in with that family because that was me expressing that I would want to live there cool I guess yeah (laughs) I know I and looking back too it's like that is like I've been trained to interpret children's drawings and I could definitely see how that could be interpreted that way. And it was it was a super loving and wonderful home to grow up in. Mm-hmm. I officially moved in like around, I think, the age of eight. And before that, I was kind of like shuffled between different family and friends mm-hmm. houses. But then when I turned like eight or around that time, I had like a consistent home. Um, I had a nuclear family. Yeah. There was a mom and a dad. And then they had a daughter who is now my sister. And her name's Mari. Cool. <laughs> so she's eight years younger than me. She was born. Oh, wow. Like right around the time I moved in, like a year later, maybe. Cool. Yes. So I lost a lot of, there was just a lot of turbulence. A lot of inconsistency growing up, like moving between different homes, having different caregivers. I got to experience so many different people's realities. It it made me able to like adapt to almost any situation. Sure. And I feel like that's one of my greatest strengths now. Yeah. I can kind of fit in anywhere. And I'm also aware that there's no one right or just like one way of doing anything. Yeah. Because I've seen people... Like, every family has its own unspoken or spoken rules. Mm -hmm. How they function. How they adapt to things. Yeah. Just how they react. Yeah. Yeah. So, I lived... I grew up there. And just before, actually, my 16th birthday, um, the dad in that family, Neil, was diagnosed with cancer. Oh. And it was super sudden. We did not think it was as... Like, we had no idea that he had cancer, basically. So he went to the hospital, and then it was, like, we found out the next day, like, oh, he has a brain tumor and has, like, six months to live. And then a month later, he died. Yeah. So it was, like, that was super traumatic and completely re-triggered the loss of my mom for sure because it's like you adjusted to this life and then it just got ripped out from under you again yeah wow but I didn't even see it that I don't know if I saw it that way at the time like I wasn't I didn't I didn't understand why my pain was so big yeah but now I can see that it was like compounded from Mm -hmm. many years Mm -hmm. so I didn't and I so yeah at the age of 16 like I had just started I had already been doing some kind of like rebellious things let's hear about it age. let's get into the rebel yes. sarah <laughs> yes. 
Well, I like I tried alcohol. Tried alcohol. I tried alcohol <laughs> at the ripe age of I think 15, 14 or 15. So I just thought it was so fun to like go hang out with friends and drink mm-hmm. alcohol. Party girl? Yes. Party. And then I tried weed when I was 15. And to be honest, I didn't really like it at first, but I just did it to Yeah, like who doesn't do pot when they're a teenager? Yeah. I mean, not not that you like have to, but pretty much everybody I know dabbled in in the marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> And the alcohol, so yeah. I don't know if that says who I hang out with or what, but well, and I <laughs> pretty love, normal things. Yeah, all the people I liked hanging out with wanted to do that, and I liked the people that I hung out with. So, yeah, it was fun, but also, like, as someone who now knows, like, I have anxiety, it does not always help, like, social anxiety. Yeah. Like, it definitely made me anxious in social settings. So, I got in trouble for that a lot as a teenager. Mm-hmm. So by, yeah, so those were like my, I hadn't really developed healthy, I mean, I'm speaking like such a therapist now, but I would not have said it in this way back then, but I I had not developed healthy coping mechanisms (laughs) as a teenager, understandably so. But my go-tos then like to basically to deal with all the pain that I was feeling was to drink and you know, to smoke weed and to hang out with my friends. And then I also like would cut myself occasionally, like on my, like my ankles. I would do it in places that I felt like no one would see, but I don't know. There was something about it that it was like, I wanted people to know how much pain I was in, but I was too scared and didn't really know how to show it. Yeah. So I felt like if I had these physical marks, it would... It would help people understand, mm-hmm. but I never actually ended up showing anyone or telling anyone. Really? As I recall. Maybe like a close friend, but I don't. Wow. Yeah. Did this continue for like many years? No, no. It was like a very, felt like a brief period of just, I only have a couple memories of actually doing it, but I just remember sitting like on the ground and just being, it almost felt like shell shock. Like the world just felt like blurry and numb around me and my pain felt so big and I had no idea what to do with it and I just needed some sort of release or outlet because physical pain to be honest was much more tolerable than emotional pain Mm. at that point like the level of emotional pain I was feeling yeah wow I mean I think a lot of people can relate to that yeah right yeah well I, I I have learned that and that's part of why I'm like able to share that now is in like these past several years since going to you know school to become a therapist like I was able to connect with so many other people who had been through similar experiences Mm -hmm. and I've learned that there is no shame in any of that yeah although I realize it's like a lot of people do carry shame for that which is sad it is wow yeah I had no idea about that yeah. That part of your story. So so this was you in high school. Do you want to talk yep. about how you transitioned to college? Yeah, I was like super pumped to go to college. Yeah. Because I would, I'd always wanted to grow up really fast. Oh, really? From a young age, yeah. <laughs> like I was always looking forward to getting older. Yeah. <laughs> college was, like I loved college because I got to focus on what I was interested in mm-hmm. academically. And then simultaneously, I had, like, all the freedom that I had been dreaming of basically my whole life. I now know that, like, losing my mom was a big part of me feeling this sense that, like, I had to be independent. Yeah. I've always carried this, like, fierce independence and, like, wanting to do things on my own. And, yeah, I was just able to kind of do whatever I wanted Mm -hmm. finally in college, which was mostly fun. I didn't consciously think it was scary, but then I started developing, like, panic attacks. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that's what they were at the time, but I ended up going to see, like, the school psychiatrist because I was just getting these terrible, like, symptoms of, like, heart palpitations and, like, dizziness. 
Yeah. A lot of trouble sleeping. Like the nervousness that I have now, but like times a million. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it would render me like <laughs> not functioning. I don't really like notice your nervousness. I know you talk about it, but I just don't really see it that much. I love that. And the first time I met you, I we walked into Tacey's house, or I did, and I just like looked at you and I was like, oh yeah, she's really kind. Like, I wasn't like, she's nervous. She's so nervous. (laughs) (laughs) So whatever you feel probably isn't, like, expressing outwardly as much as you think. Oh, yeah. My internal world is, like, on fire (laughs) a lot of the time. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad it doesn't always come across that way. Yeah, I, so yeah, I still clearly struggle with anxiety, but I've learned so many other ways of coping with it. But back in college, I like all I thought of doing was going to see the psychiatrist who put me on. I tried Prozac, Trazodone, and then she ended up giving me, I want to say lorazepam, some kind of benzodiazepine, mm-hmm. which is like the class of drugs that like Xanax and yeah. all of that is in. Okay. And she was like, okay, I'm only giving you these as you know, like for emergencies kind of, because mm-hmm. sometimes when people start taking, I think it was the Prozac, like their symptoms might get worse mm-hmm. before they get better. And I like that thought alone triggered my anxiety. Oh God. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> How could they get any worse? <laughs> <laughs> and they, you know, they did actually, I was sitting in a lecture and I remember it was like a few days after starting the Prozac and I just felt totally off like not Mm -hmm. in my body it may have it may have just been like a panic attack like I just felt completely disconnected from myself like I had trouble breathing my heart was beating super fast so I left the lecture hall ended up calling one of my good friends at the time who I was living with she came and got me um like I was like sitting in a mall just like sobbing I was so Mm. scared I didn't know what to do And she, like, helped me, basically. I don't remember if she was, like, with me, but, like, I got back to my apartment and took one of these lorazepam, Mm -hmm. I think. We'll just call it Xanax. Yeah, let's just say Xanax because it's basically (laughs) what it ended up (laughs) becoming. (laughs) And it just, relief just washed over me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, everything is okay again. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, life feels like I got this. Yeah. My as somebody with an addictive personality, like just I know exactly what you mean, and it scares me because, like, yeah, but mm-hmm. once you have something that just does it for you, you're just like, oh, all my work here is done. Totally, all I need is this little bottle. Yeah, yeah. It it is truly like it feels like magic. Yeah, yeah. So that was the beginning of me, like becoming dependent on on Xanax Mm -hmm. basically I wasn't taking it regularly like every day but I would use it as kind of like a crutch in like social situations or I mean what like what I still feel like I'm still annoyed at myself about like I'm trying to have more compassion but it's like I would get in these cycles of you know I wanted to go out and party so I would you know, be like drinking a lot with friends. And then, you know, the next day I'd feel super hungover. Mm. And I was doing that enough to be aware that that was like a pattern that would lead me to have more anxiety. Mm-hmm. It was not helping the anxiety. Right. Or like depression ties very closely in with anxiety for me. Cause for it's sure. Like, I hate feeling and that And substance way. abuse. Yeah. 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 And so I was... I was like using the Xanax to like facilitate these like destructive yet like still fun cycles Mm -hmm. that I was in. I have very mixed feelings looking back on that time Mm -hmm. because I did have a lot of fun like with people when I was out, you know, drinking and yet it made me feel like shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people that resonates with a lot of people probably because like, think about people that were binge drinkers in college and now later in adult life have become alcoholics and they can't stop or they have yeah. stopped and they look back on their college days as, like, how fucking fun was that, A? Mm-hmm. And B, why did I do that to myself? 
you know? know but it's so easy because on one hand you're like you are making these friendships and connecting with people and you're all in this like super huge stage of your life that's full of freedom but then at the same time you like if you're not careful it can be really dangerous totally yeah I I totally hear you there yeah and like everyone has such a different response to it like you said like some people whose personalities are more prone to like addiction Mm -hmm. or just like yeah I it doesn't even have to be like addiction it could just be I forget there's another word but just like habits I don't know yeah that makes sense so you yeah I have I have that you have an <laughs> addictive personality <laughs> I guess I don't yeah. know I haven't thought about it recently <laughs> I like to get into routines yeah oh yeah I have much healthier routines now I Good. can't wait to talk about that yeah <laughs> but back then I did not have healthy routines like I would like yeah, I would just do what the culture around me was doing, which was binge drinking mm-hmm. a lot. Like wake up at six in the morning and go to a kegger before a football game and just like I could never do beer bongs. I never I never figured that out. Well, that's something that we don't have in common. <laughs> <laughs> You're good at that. That's yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. I know. I felt like an outcast. So funny. So my fiance went to a, like a private college, St. Olaf. Mm-hmm. And I went to UW River Falls. And those are like two very different party environments. Okay. As you can imagine, I met Mackenzie after college, but we were still, I was like only a year or two after college, I think. And so we were still in that phase where you like party all the time and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, to an extent, we're still kind of in it. You know, it's not, yeah. like, totally over, but um, I remember, like, being at his parents' house is where we were having a party, and all of his St. Olaf friends were there, and we all did a shotgun. We all shotgunned a beer, mm-hmm. like a Bud Light or whatever, and I finished mine, like, immediately, and I thought it was, like, normal, <laughs> and I was, like, 30 seconds ahead of everybody else. <laughs> nice. Uh, nice. Yeah, but... No, that wasn't... The- not that I should be talking about my binge drinking habits on a podcast called Highly Meditated, but <laughs> that's how it was for me. <laughs> no, your your podcast name is super fitting. Like oh. I feel like for my like my story especially because I was highly medicated. Yeah, for so long. Yeah, and now I'm highly meditated. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a wonderful transition. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so how long did your your phase of being highly medicated last oh my gosh like well into my like that I think that's when the Saturn returns really came into play yeah it turned into alcohol Xanax weed then I discovered Adderall Mm. which allowed me to like have as much energy and focus as I possibly needed to do like anything yeah if if anybody's listening to this podcast and you're starting to develop an Adderall habit, like, fucking stop. Because that shit, it's like, as soon as you say the word Adderall, I'm like, oh my god, I want some. Yeah. It's so, because I've totally been down that road. And I was never prescribed or anything, so it's a lot different for me. Like, you know, I never got to the point where I was prescribed drugs. Not to say I didn't try to get prescribed certain drugs, but like... Mm-hmm. I totally know how easy it is to fall into that pattern of just like relying on something to wake up in the, you wake up in the morning and you just take an Adderall yes. and you have a cup of coffee and you know that you shouldn't have them together, but it feels so fucking good that you do it anyways. And then you go work out. Yeah. And then you work out and you're like, yeah, I'm just feeling really fit. Oh, that's also because I can't eat because I'm taking a government made meth pill every morning and it Literally. prevents me from being able to eat food. Like, yeah. Oh, it's such a bad habit. It's so bad. Well, and what's interesting is I've talked to so many people who are prescribed it who have been diagnosed with, you know, ADHD or ADD and have a completely different response to it. Like it doesn't amp them up in the way that it, did you feel amped up? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was like 80 hour work week. Okay, let's do this. (laughs) Right? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I felt. Yeah, I feel like I'm sharing a lot on here and that's part of why I'm so scared. But I also want to like normalize this for other people because 
like no shame in any of this, but I, you know, I dabbled in cocaine then like later, not, mm-hmm. it never became like a habitual thing, but I know what that feels like. And I can say that taking Adderall and cocaine like have very similar feelings. So yeah, the idea that that's like put in a pill, like you said, like government regulated, that was the upside to it, that it was government regulated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just can't believe they give that shit to kids. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people I know started it when they were, like, pretty young. Yeah. Man. So, Yen, you were taking that even as a therapist, right? So you graduated from, you finished grad school Uh for family and marriage therapy? Is that right? Yeah, marriage and family therapy, which the program called it couple and family therapy to be, you know, more inclusive to people who don't get married. It's anyone in a relationship. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so even when you were working full-time, you were still on prescription drugs that was around the time that I realized I needed to stop this is yeah that is so I never actually I hadn't put that together that I started the program on it and when I was in school I always felt like I had a reason to be taking it Mm -hmm. I felt like that was legitimate you know this is a academic study drug (laughs) for sure (laughs) this is helping me be a better person (laughs) right like yeah I'm allowed to take this yeah you always can find a way to justify it bad things yeah if you try hard enough (laughs) but it felt so wrong on a deep level like every time I would go to the doctor to get my prescription refilled I was like exaggerating symptoms that I really didn't have Mm -hmm. to get her to like continue prescribing me Mm -hmm. this drug that I knew I didn't need but I wanted to well I I did need it to function at the level that I was trying to Mm -hmm. and that was like it's just not natural for me. Yeah. Same. So for me, I also got like that feeling of, I know this is wrong deep mm-hmm. in me. And I would have days where I was like, cause I wasn't prescribed. I was just whatever I had at that time was whatever I had. And I would be like, so today I'm just going to take like half a pill, you know? And then, but just in case, like just in case I can't make it through the day, I'm going to bring the other half with me. You know, and then it's like I would do both and then I would come home and do more. And it's like, I know how bad this is, but you just at some point you just like you don't care or you justify it. It's so hard. There's like a cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Which how I understand that I could be off, but it's like, you know, something's bad or wrong, like and you you do it anyways. So it's like Mm -hmm. you experience this. It's like this internal tension Mm -hmm. and you end up having to kind of repress like the feelings of like not wanting to do it. Yeah. And for us, like to sit here and talk about this on a podcast is a privilege. Like it didn't destroy our lives, but there's a lot of people that don't, they don't get that lucky and like alcohol and drugs and serious hard drugs destroy people's lives like all the time. Yeah. So for us to be able to talk about it and talk about it in the past is just a privilege in itself. It is. I feel like I got so lucky. Yeah. I've gotten so lucky. I don't know. I think I really truly believe like there have been people watching out for me. Mm -hmm. My mom and. For sure. And everyone I've lost has been (laughs) doing all they can to keep me alive. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I, I started watching the show Nurse Jackie. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? No. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's on HBO. It's from a while ago, but it's, oh, Edie Falco. I think that's her name. Uh, she plays a nurse who has this, she's like a functioning drug addict, but she's a nurse in a hospital, like a really good, like she's super good at her job. But that was the first time I feel like I was, I was watching someone reflect back like my same disturbing behaviors which was what you were saying like you break up a pill and you like bring it with you places and like I feel like I was like secretly like breaking up you know medications I was like constantly self-medicating like if I felt like too low and like too low energy you know I take an Adderall to feel high and like Mm -hmm. get stuff done and then if I need to go to sleep or relax or like had a panic attack I would you know take Xanax or like smoke weed to come down Mm -hmm. and it was just this constant cycle of like ups and downs and ups and downs 
So that was like depicted in the show, but she had a family and I just kept thinking into my own future. Like I cannot, I cannot live like this. Yeah. And also have like, try to have a family. It's, I just couldn't see it working. Mm-hmm. And then I experienced this, just like this super intense come down one day. Like I don't remember what exactly triggered it, but I remember sitting on my kitchen floor. I was living with my now ex at the time in our apartment in Chicago. And I was just like, I went right back to that place I was in after Neil died. So that was the dad mm. um, of the family I was yeah. raised yep. by. So I went like, I felt like that exact same way um, as I did when I was like 15, 16. And I'm just like, I do not want to feel like this mm-hmm. ever again. I didn't want to live. Like it was such a dismal, painful feeling. And so it's like that really inspired me to just, I'm like, I need to just cut this out yeah. of my life. And I haven't, that was like the end of that. That was like cold turkey done? Yeah. Wow. Good for you. Holy shit. Yeah, it was it was really hard though. Like the yeah, the like cravings were there for a long time, but now yeah, so much has changed in between now and then. It's like I don't I wouldn't I don't want that anymore. It's like mm-hmm. way too intense of a feeling. Mhm. Now life is devoted almost completely to healing. Yeah. And trying to unravel the past, what led me down the paths that I chose to go down mm-hmm. and how I can avoid a lot of those again. Not that I regret any of them. I feel like I learned so much from all of my experiences. And like you said, I'm really lucky to still be here. Even. Yeah. Not everybody has that privilege. Being afraid of going back down that road is that something that you actually fear deep down yes yeah because it wasn't that far away yeah it wasn't that long ago how long ago was it like four years ago yeah that's so interesting because for me I'm like I don't think that my story was nearly as bad as yours as far as my substance abuse goes. Like, I I mean, I was only using Adderall. I wasn't prescribed and I was coping with alcohol, not other drugs, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't know how long of a time period you were using, but um, like mine was really seasonal based on my work Mm -hmm. or based on who I was spending my time with or where I lived. So Mm -hmm. it's not like the same for me, but now since I've, gone down this whole new path myself I just don't ever see myself going back there but so that's really interesting because I like feel like I've completely wiped that option out of my life but Mm -hmm. it's so interesting that you still could see it happening or you fear it happening I don't I don't see myself going back to the same like I don't see myself ever taking Adderall again but I see myself wanting being enticed by that lifestyle again yeah wanting to live this really fast life Mm -hmm. where you can get everything done and yeah yeah there's a lot of pressure from society to live that pace of life yeah and I'm learning now I'm someone who that does not come naturally and in fact I think it's really unhealthy for me to try to conform to in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. so that brings me to where I'm at now which is living this very intentionally slow life Mm-hmm. And I work three days at a natural foods co-op, which is one of my Dude, like, so cool. favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been pretty awesome. I started there a little over a year ago, and I I I didn't know what my future would look like. I still I'm getting a better sense now, but I didn't think I would be there this long. Really. Yeah, it felt like it was very much a temporary transitional thing. Yeah, It's given me the time and space to process a lot of things that have happened and to also just like heal. Like I was saying, the, the vibes are so positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet, you meet, I bet you meet people every day mm-hmm. that you can have a genuine conversation with. It's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. So what's next for you? You're going to just keep working at the co-op? <laughs> <laughs> 
Which you could, like, totally. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like you have well, bigger plans. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have some dreams, some big dreams. And I want to – I've never been able to fully – besides when I was nannying, I've, I've never been able to fully support myself financially. Mm-hmm. And – I want, I want that so badly and I don't want to just be able to survive. Like I want to thrive Yeah, and be able to afford all of the things that I want. And so much of what I want is to give back to other people and to heal. To be of service. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like the money would be invested well. I'm just trying to figure out a way to cultivate a, a bigger income using the things that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. Which has led me to, so she, she goes by ecstatic creator, this little plug. Her name is Chelsea Schultz. Okay. And I found her on Instagram, I believe, but she is someone who empowers visionary empaths. Oh, wow. To find their, (laughs) yes. Raise your hand if you're a visionary (laughs) empath. My hand is reaching towards the sky right now. (laughs) And yeah, helps them. Because empaths aren't always is I mean you are you're doing this I guess you're not combining your passion to make the income but it's like we tend to struggle when it comes to making money mm-hmm. because we don't feel like our services like we we want to give them away mm-hmm. for free basically it yeah. doesn't feel right to charge people for them yeah well when I got my Reiki certification uh, I'm Reiki one level one and two certified it nice I don't know if I even told you no. that but. Yeah, we had a big conversation around it with our teacher when we got certified because it's like people will want and expect you to do it for free. Like your friends and your family members are going to say like, hey, can you do Reiki on me? And that's fine. But like you need to come to a point where you say this is a service that I offer to everybody else for this price. And so that's what I charge you as well. Mm -hmm. You know, like what you have is special, like Everybody, all of these healers, like everybody's abilities are special and they should feel good about like charging a certain amount of money for them. And if you want to be of service to somebody and they can't afford it, like barter, yeah, you know, barter or just work something out, like do some sort of trade or mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a ton of options or just say like whatever. Yeah. I mean, whatever you can give me is, is good. Yeah. yeah. And it yeah, it starts with having the confidence of knowing your worth. Yeah. Which sometimes takes other people helping yeah. you feel that. Wait, I think, can you go back to like what you're actually looking to do though? <laughs> That's what I'm still trying to figure out. Oh, okay. To be honest, it still feels super abstract, but a lot of what I'm sharing with you right now, I want to somehow intertwine into a business. Yeah. I feel like you should be people. an art therapist or something. Well, I did the therapy thing. Like, I did that for... But, like, with art? You know. I just, like, have this image of you, like, you know, teaching people art and, like, healing them yeah, with it. Yeah. But... Maybe. <laughs> maybe that is what what's down the path. I just know that it's really hard for me to to do therapy at this point in my life because I feel like I'm healing from so much. Mm-hmm. I... So this shift that occurred, like I moved back about a year and a half ago after like what felt like so many, so much culminating that I was, that I was like suppressing in a way. Mm -hmm. Like I was in a relationship that had gotten like pretty toxic and dysfunctional. Like it had been on and off throughout its duration, but um, it just became really apparent to me like, like a year ago that my life was heading in a direction that I didn't ever see it heading mm-hmm. in and I didn't want it to continue in. And I, I knew I needed to be closer to family. I just had been feeling that in my heart for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I basically like uprooted my whole existence in Chicago very abruptly oh. and came back here to where my family is. Yeah. And cool i've just been yeah like processing that whole experience yeah so earlier before we started recording you mentioned to me that you have like started 
a journal or a drawing yeah. in your journal of like how everything has connected to you in your life now would you say that you're on like a spiritual path or like yeah. a healer's path now yeah. yeah I think that's such a cool concept do you want to talk more about it yeah I just since I've moved back I've become a lot more observant of I've taken this like existential approach to everything like I'm I'm trying not to get caught up as caught up in like the details of day to day, but instead like look at the bigger picture, try to find meaning in life. I think probably because I felt like so small and just, I didn't know what to do with myself when I came back. Like I was in so much pain. I needed something to explain like why I ended up where I ended up and yeah, like hope for the future. So I, I've, signed up for various workshops, um, did a lot of yoga, made an effort to go out and meet different people in this healing realm. And in the process, I've been keeping a journal and I wanted to track all of the like people and experiences I had that felt really meaningful. So I would, I ended up creating this like visual diagram in a sense of how all of the people and events, you know, over this past year connect. And it's crazy that they all do connect through it, yeah. you know, at least one. That's so cool. Way. <laughs> but yeah, what's even cooler is like the multiple connections. Once you start realizing like, I know this person through this person, but then met this person who is connected to this first person. And then like the experiences that you share with all of them is yeah it's so cool yeah just to give like a small example like you you and I met at the book club uh-huh. but I go to studio one yoga and so Tacy is also part of the book club she teaches at studio one and she also teaches at healing elements and studio one is actually yeah that's the whole reason I know you because that's where I met Kristen Oh, yeah. And I Kristen met... goes there, too. Yeah. Or she teaches there. Kristen yeah. just happened to be subbing this class. Like, I'd never been to Studio One before. And I went one day with a friend and the class had a sub. Mm-hmm. The sub was Kristen. And I just opened up to her a little bit about like, I was like, I just moved back from Chicago. Like, I was a therapist, but I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And she was just like, we have to talk more. Like after class? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> so then we ended up hanging out and... She introduced me to Tacy. We went to a workshop. She took me to one of Tacy's workshops at Healing Elements. Mm-hmm. And then I saw Tacy at a networking event for, I think, just healing professionals. Yeah. Which was totally separate. And Tacy and I were like, oh my gosh, we've, like, I was like, I went to your workshop. Yeah. And so then we connected and then we started hanging out more. And then she invited me to this spiritual book club. Yeah. And that's where I met you. Oh, my God. So cool. We're just a little web. I know. Exactly. <laughs> and this is probably only like one little part of your your diagram, but it's cool. I need cool to expand concept. it. Yeah. Yeah. So what else do you do um, now that you're on this path? Like, do you have a regular meditation practice? Yes. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to. I have made self-care my religion in a sense. Yeah. I'm not like I've never been super religious, but. I take it very seriously and Ayurveda has been one of my favorite approaches to self-care and wellness and I'm not expert enough on the topic I feel like to like inform people about it I recommend people look it up if they're interested but Mm -hmm. it's generally speaking it's about living in harmony with nature and like nature's natural rhythms sure living in harmony with your body's natural rhythms very intuitive Mm -hmm. but obviously you know there's a lot to like there's a lot of stuff to learn too yeah I feel like everything I'm not well versed in it either by any means but everything I've heard that's how do you say it again Ayurveda Ayurveda yeah Mm -hmm. I always read it I don't say it out loud so yeah (laughs) but everything I've read about it was like just really holistic based Uh uh-huh so that's cool yeah they recommend you so for my dosha, I'm a, that's like the const, my constitution. These are all Ayurveda words. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm a, I think I'm a pitta vata or a vata pitta, which means 
I can be often like when I'm experiencing symptoms, like issues in life, it's because my like pitta is out of balance, which is like the fiery part of me. Mm-hmm. So I can see that physically on my skin. Like I, I've been struggling with breakouts since I was a teenager. It's super frustrating. But now I know that like I've discovered other ways of approaching that rather than like applying all these creams and like mm-hmm. things. I can just like change what I'm eating. Yeah. And cool. Yeah. It's really awesome. Or also just feeling if I'm feeling really irritable, like I know that my like the pitta in me is is aggravated flaring up yeah (laughs) that heat nice (laughs) so you can literally just eat something cooling yeah (laughs) do you feel like it works or do you think it's a little bit too woo woo no oh my god it's ancient it's like it is ancient ancient yeah it is so not i don't see this woo woo at all that's awesome i follow their principles a lot sleep super important it's a lot of the stuff that you know was preached to me that i preach to my clients as a therapist but you didn't do (laughs) right that's where I felt so out of alignment I think for so long yeah that makes total sense though like getting enough sleep eating like nourishing your body with the foods Mm -hmm. it needs meditation is my savior yeah I'm obsessed with meditation what kinds do you do like I love quiet time So so I will do my own like meditation using Kristen introduced me to insight timer. Yep. Which is really great. You know, if you just need like a, a timer or a good guided meditation, but I also really love group meditation, like going to different classes, Mm -hmm. having structured quiet time. Yeah. Like you plan for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to notice like the thoughts that are going through my head. Mm hmm. Without judgment. <laughs> that's right. Thoughts <laughs> without judgment. What I think that's Zen meditation. I think all meditation should. I. I it think should be the goal is. To I not think there judge. is a specific one that says observing your thoughts without judgment is. I think mm-hmm. it's Zen meditation is that style. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I do so many things differently now. Oh, one huge thing that's been helpful is. So as I mentioned earlier, I am fiercely independent. That's my go-to. Like I want to handle things on my own. Mm -hmm. I feel very competent at doing things on my own. So I struggle with reaching out for support. And I've really pushed myself to do that more recently. Mm -hmm. And one way I've done that is I joined a, it's not technically a support group, but it's, it's a community of women whose mothers died. Oh, yeah. And within that, there's a subset for women whose mothers died when they were kids Mm. under the age of 18 and I did a workshop with them and then I'm now a part of this group that meets you know they host events and meet every every so often but I've made like these real meaningful connections with other women who've shared such similar experiences Mm -hmm. and that has been absolutely life-changing really yeah is that like right in the the twin cities yeah do you know what it's called so I'll link it in my podcast notes she climbs mountains. <laughs> she cl- oh my I love that is the organization. That's yeah. so cool. Have you heard of She Recovers? No. Oh, it's a good one too. I feel like it would be up your alley. It's about it's a women's support group. They do a lot of retreats and like newsletters and workshops and stuff. But um, they strongly feel that you don't have to hit rock bottom before you start your recovery. That's like one of the main things that they preach, which I think is awesome. Yeah. Uh, but so it's recovering from anything, whether it's like codependency or alcohol or drugs or just like toxic habits that you formed in your life um it's all that stuff I could so. probably still use that <laughs> yeah That's I'm actually awesome. surprised you haven't heard of it I'll, I'll show it to you later yes yeah I don't know I don't know if I hit necessarily rock bottom but it those are the points in my life where I've then grown the mm-hmm. most mm-hmm. and it would be nice to avoid like all of the damage that comes with the rock bottom yeah yeah, totally. So a big part of self-care, I know there's this whole self-care movement going on. And so it's like face masks, rest. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. And that's like part of it. Yeah. I will admit. Yeah, it is. I take a bath all the time. Yeah. Like, like I'm jealous. I, I don't have a bathtub. So yeah. I, I mean, it's, I guess it's self-care, but it's not like, it's not like I'm going into the bathtub with a bottle of wine. 
you know that wouldn't be terrible well i mean i i have done that and i do that occasionally but like that sounds lovely (laughs) (laughs) but like i don't know there's this idea of like self-care in the artificial sense Mm -hmm. and that comes in the form of like face masks and treating yourself with a dessert and like, like buying yeah and buying new stuff and like that's there's a really good place for all of that i think like to some extent if that makes you feel better do it but it's also like the truest form of self-care is observing yourself and fucking fixing your toxic habits mm-hmm. like when you don't feel like doing the dishes do the dishes like what i don't know it's just it comes down to this like basic hard stuff that you don't want to do like when you don't want to exercise and you don't want to eat a salad for lunch and you don't want to like do all the things that you know are going to make you feel good you just have to do them and that to me is self-care yeah yeah that and that's the part I'm working on I have a hard time almost like self-parenting in Mm -hmm. a way Mm -hmm. it's like you know doing the things you know you should yeah that you don't want how annoying yeah (laughs) those are really hard I know I'm such a hedonist yeah like I just follow pleasure everywhere. Yeah, same. I feel like we're really similar in that sense. It's kind of funny. But you but you work like a much more intense job. Dude, my job is not intense. I work eight to five, sometimes later. I don't know. It's not intense. Well, you push yourself more in that regard. See, but for me, I'm like, if I could quit my job, that that's like my biggest fear is quitting my job and not having enough money to get by. It's a real like, fear. Yeah, but you're just like out here doing it. Like, yeah, I just work at a co-op and I spend all this time on myself and I just really admire that. Like, it's so cool. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and I like I have to, like I realize privilege has played a large role in that. Mm-hmm. And I'm very aware of that. Part of me though feels like the universe is like giving back to me from all of the pain that I experienced maybe. as a childhood. Or maybe it's just giving child. you what you need right now to, like, get where you're supposed to be, you know? Yeah. Or maybe, like, maybe it's not related to the universe. Like, maybe <laughs> maybe it's just my family being yeah. really generous. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's just life. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, to full circle, also just elaborate on the self-care thing. It's, like, it can be that tough love kind of that you're mentioning. And also, for me, a big part of it has been setting boundaries for myself with people because that's something I think I've struggled with. Mm-hmm. Like, I am I used to be such a yes person. Mm-hmm. Fear, like, did not want to say no in fear of, like, disappointing people, FOMO, you know. Yeah. And now I'm, like, experiencing so much joy from just doing whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, that's so cool. Like, how do you feel on a daily basis? now compared to how you used to like compare your emotions and your feelings during the day it's like corny like (laughs) I sing you sing (laughs) I sing when I'm in the car yeah I I wake up literally this morning and yesterday morning I woke up with to the sound of birds singing outside my window with just a smile on my face And I had, I listened to like soundscapes as I go to sleep, just like music. And so it was like this beautiful, like nature sounds with harp, like playing in the background. (laughs) And I just get up and I'm like, I feel the floor on my feet and I do like a little stretch and I, I scrape my tongue because that's like this Ayurvedic Oh yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. Drink some water, make a delicious breakfast, do yoga. I just, I feel really... I feel good. And that's not to say that, like, I still struggle with the anxiety and, you know, you can call it anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. I feel like it, they're just these natural responses I'm having to stuff that's happened in the past that's getting re-triggered. It's resurfacing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, there's this quote by Michelle Chalfant. It's, uh, she says that anxiety is the physical manis- manifestation of unfelt emotion. So true, because if you just keep ignoring and ignoring and ignoring and you never process what happened or what is currently happening, that's like the definition of anxiety. Yeah. You you just freak out. Yeah, and it jumps you. Yeah. And it feels totally out of context. Mm Mm-hmm. And it can be an an unprocessed emotion from a long time ago. It doesn't have to be something that happened recently or in the present moment. Right. Yeah. I agree with that completely. That's why I love mindfulness, because 
despite me being so like all the nervousness that I created, you know, in my head before coming here and then doing this, Mm -hmm. it's like so in my head because if I were to just stop and meditate and just be present, I would realize that everything is perfect Yeah, right now. Like Mm -hmm. I'm drinking, you gave me this delicious kombucha (laughs) 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 that I'm drinking. I, it's a beautiful day outside. I know. It's so So nice. So warm. Like my body feels good. I got to do yoga today. Yeah. Like I'm here with you having this incredible conversation. Yeah. You know, we're just recording a podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's from that lens. Life is blissful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for everything that you've shared. Seriously. I can't wait to release this episode. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I can't wait to continue listening to your highly meditated. I know. This episode is definitely like the definition of highly medicated to highly meditated. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, it's been awesome. So yeah, thank you. I will link your your Instagram in the show notes and as well as a couple of resources that we mentioned throughout the show. And thank you everybody for listening. Thank you. If you like what you hear, give me a little, uh, little five-star rating or a, hopefully not a one-star rating on the five old stars. itunes five stars <laughs> <laughs> thanks everyone <laughs>